The Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, because no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered, Really, I'm telling you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. And Nicodemus said, What? The gospel of the Lord. I don't even have to go on to the John 3.16 verse because I know you already know it, right? You've been in Bible school, maybe church camp. So let's say John 3.16 together now. Okay? For God so loved the world that God gave God his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal Nice. We may have learned it in different translations, but you know it. And so given what we saw just happened between Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus who came saying, we know. The question is, what good is you know that verse? <coughs> just having that verse memorized, Make it easier for you to love not just part of the world, not just the people who look and act like you, but the, the whole world. To make it more possible for you to, to trust that love is what makes life indestructible. That's what makes it full, full of eternal possibilities. Is that what having that verse memorized does for you? And if not, then maybe we're better off not knowing it at all. If that knowing, if the memorizing of it gets in the way and blocks us from that other journey. Nicodemus came knowing stuff. We know, Jesus, he said to Jesus, we know that you're from God. We know it. The very next thing Jesus says is to pull that rug of knowing out from under Nicodemus. And maybe you're wondering, why would Jesus do that? And I don't know about you, but I, the longer I live with Nicodemus, the more I hear this story, the more I notice that there's this so, maybe even well This isn't to say that Nicodemus had bad intentions. But Nicodemus has divided the world either or. Good guys, bad guys. He came to Jesus saying, We know that you're one of the good guys. And Jesus 
Is it going to play? There's something bigger that Jesus is all about, which is really about breaking down those either orders and turning them into both ants. It's that whole world and not just the parts. That comes in that everyone, everyone who believes. A lot of Christians, people, let's just say, we want to shrink that love down. Jesus expanded. That's what he does with Nicodemus. That's what he does in his own ministry, is make that circle wider so that it finally does include the whole cosmos and not just part of it. And one way to talk about this is that what Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to is non-dualistic thinking. I introduced the kids to the word. Here's your new word for today. Non-dualistic. Dualistic, dual means two, right? Non-dualistic means one. Dualistic is either or. Dualistic is either you're for me or you're against me. Dualistic divides the world. Non-dualistic brings it back together. All good religion reconnects, brings things together. Religio. Ligio is ligaments, the things that connect your muscles and your bones. Re means to do it again, to pull things back together. Nicodemus has a hard time understanding. From his dualistic, the word world is either black or white, and I see that you're one of the good guys, you're on the light side. And Jesus is saying, I'm not playing those two sides game. Nicodemus can't wrap his mind. Around There's only one way from a, a dualistic mind to a non-dualistic way of being, and that's it, the transformation. To be born from above, to be born again. This kind of language of rebirth is not just Christian, it's through all religions. There's this deep intuitions in humans that there's something that we can't grasp until there's a much deeper change, a much deeper transformation. It's the difference between having for God so loved the world memorized and actually living as if God so loved you and God so loves the whole world and not just Lutherans or Christians or Americans or white people. Essentially, what Jesus has come to do, and what's he started the process with Nicodemus, and the process starts with utter confusion and bewilderment. But Jesus has come to give us a new set of eyes. And not just eyes, but a whole new one, call it an operating system. To change how we see and how we process reality. So that we really can see Christ in everyone and in everything. For God so loved the cosmos, everything that is. 
everywhere. And we see that now. Jesus is drawing us toward Drawing us toward that door. To see it. So I was challenged this week to see Christ in everyone and everything. Maybe you were too. This is how it happened to me. One of the examples. I'm going about my day, and Sarah calls me and says, I locked my keys in the car. I need you to come with me. And I'm like, in the flow of my day, right? I'm like, ah! Okay. I'm going to come get you. But I'm driving. I was in Davenport. She was over in Rock Island. So I got I had a little bit of time to, like, this question came to me. If Christ really is in everyone and everything, how is this interruption in my day Christ? From Christ? What is God trying to do through this interruption and annoyance and frustration? Well, the first thing that came to mind was, well, I get to see Sarah. I wanted to see her otherwise. That's kind of nice. But then almost like it wasn't even my voice. It's okay to make mistakes. How about that? For a, for a, a blessing, a grace. My little heart just broke open when I was like, yeah, okay. It's okay that Sarah made this mistake. It's okay that I make mistakes in my life. Thank you, God, for the gift of that reminder. Otherwise, I would have speed, been speeding along my list. Let's make this day perfect track, which would exclude a whole lot of life. And as you know, my dad was in a car accident in December, and, and that was just a, a big, most recent sign of, the, of decline, his cognitive decline. And soon after this happened, I was still sort of riding the A friend of mine reached out to me and asked me how he was doing. And this is the, was the truth and still is the truth. That I believe that God is working love and grace through this experience. That there, yes, it's going to be hard, and yes, there's suffering that's a part of it, and the end of the story is love. I'm going to become a more loving person, that the world is going to be more full of love and grace, even if and when. It means that my dad doesn't remember anything, and my dad dies. And that has been true. I've seen that happen. This is the, the shift in the operating system and the way that we see and process the world that Jesus is trying to accomplish one-on-one -on -one here with Nicodemus. Because I know that from a certain point of view, what I just said is like, what are you talking about? Most of the world lives from that point of view. Like, what do you mean? This is going to be a good thing? Like, how is God going to, where is God? What, I mean, you can just imagine. Because it is and it is in too. There's this little tiny book that's called The Cloud of Unknowing. It's a little book about prayer and about the kind of prayer that's, that's about this transformation from a dualistic mind, seeing things as black and white, <coughs> to the kind of 
kind of a mind that seeks the wholeness, the love of God in everything. And the basic premise of this book, Cloud of Unknowing, is that we cannot grasp God by our thoughts. God can only be grasped by love. And this is not so radical an idea. It's in St. Paul who says, love pops up, or knowledge pops up, but love builds up. It's not about what we know. It's about the giving and receiving of love. How we can experience love and how we can show love. That's the only way in which the black and the white, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, the suffering and the joy can be united. That's who Christ is. Holds it all together. So let's, for just one second, with all of that in our hearts and minds and bodies, remember last week the three temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. Those three temptations are important, symbolic, instructive to all of us. But it's also important, instructive that Nicodemus was a leader. Leader of the Jews. Leave aside that for a second and use leaders of the Jews. Think about leaders. Because those three temptations are all about temptations to abuse power. The first one, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. You are a child of God. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. And it's until we trust that belovedness, that identity, that we are beloved people. Until then, we will be hungry, always hungry for power, for control, for being a big deal. For some external thing that will show us that we're loved. Until that hole is filled. The second temptation, up on top of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from him, because here I'll quote some scripture about how God's going to protect you. It's a temptation to abuse religion, to misuse religion, make it about, to shrink that cosmic love down to it's just about me. Nope, Jesus. Refuses to do that. Then the third one, top of the mountain, all of the nations of the world and their glory. I'll give you all of this, all of their armies, all of their taxes, everything. Jesus says, "Get out of here." The temptation to abuse political power—that's only possible from a dualistic mindset. If it's an either-or, a black and a white, us versus them, then there's going to be power that is abused. I don't care if you're 
the President of the United States, or you're a parent in your home, or a teacher in a school, or a nurse in a doctor's office. There's some help <coughs> in all of those places. And you'll find a way to turn all of that around into a way that you can take from the people you're there to serve. I'm a pastor, and I can do that too. I could find a way to turn this all around about me and what I get out of this. Jesus said, God so loved the world that God gave. Gave, gave. To everyone. Gave. Let's move to a non-dualistic way of thinking where the whole unity of everything is loved by God. Full of Christ. Even the most dastardly of people in us. Even the most useless pieces of land, even the emptiest voids of space. Beloved, important, wanted, woven in your whole, inseparable. on the other side of this cloud of unknown. He's finally gone through this full initiation, this full rebirth, this full transformation. And we see it when he shows up at the foot of the cross. He's there to help take Jesus' body down from the cross, to prepare it for burial. And he has brought with him 100 pounds spices, the perfumes, the ointments to prepare Jesus. It's just an extravagant, way too much. Imagine his joy at the resurrection. Just imagine him finally coming to understand death and life are held together. Joy and the sun, the struggle and the achievement, the light and the dark, the good and the bad, evil and the good, my team and your team, all of us held in that cosmic circle of love that is Christ. 
Ja, 